And I honestly feel like that's the transform. That's like her first transformation into Black Swan. Yeah. Where like they're coming together, you know, very literally. Literally. <laughs> Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyze depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fanasia. Please note that this episode contains depictions of suicidal ideation and self-harm and makes mention of domestic violence. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13114 and Beyond Blue on 1300 I would like to start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I record this podcast on today. I would also like to pay respect to the Wurundjeri elders, past and present, and extend this respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from other communities who are listening today. I'd like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and that we are living on stolen land. I would like to introduce my wonderful guest, fresh from Hot Girls Theory podcast, Ash Robertson. How are you? I am good. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) I'm really excited to have you. And what land are you on today? I am from the Ghana land um, in Adelaide, Australia. Amazing. So I'll just introduce your background. So Ash is from Hot Girls Theory, which is an excellent podcast, uh, and I was on it once, which was a really fun time. Uh, It focuses on Ash's favourite pastimes, sex, bringing down the patriarchy, and being able to have taboo conversations in a safe space. Besides podcasting, Ash is currently studying marketing, obsessing over Jennifer Coolidge, who isn't, (laughs) and a little too invested in the Real Housewives multiverse. She lives with bipolar disorder and is autistic with an overall mental health cocktail that is quite spicy from your description. (laughs) Are you watching The Watcher at the moment? No, but I've been meaning to. I've heard good things. Are are you about to recommend? (laughs) It's Jennifer Coolidge is amazing in it, but it's just not quite giving me what I was hoping for. So watch it. Okay. And then I'll come back to you and go, well, I like this because White Lotus, amazing. Oh, I loved, loved it. it. But I'm just like, oh, I just she deserves just all the best projects in the world, that woman. She does. She's very good. Like her character is excellent. I haven't finished it though, so. But I have heard that the ending is a little bit disappointing. But we'll see. I hate that. <laughs> so, Ash, uh, what did you want to discuss today? I wanted to discuss Black Swan and I'm happy that you let me just kind of <laughs> rant on about this in like an organized manner um, via the notes. And it's just, <laughs> it's one of those movies and you've had um, Indy, who's my co-host and Hot Girls Theory on here. And I think she would definitely say, if you had to describe Ashley or like say something that kind of sums up how to understand Ashley, it's Black Swan and not in like the way like I was a ballerina because I was a little too thick to be a ballerina growing up unfortunately and I'm just too left-footed it's just not my thing (laughs) but um yeah Black Swan is just one of those movies that is just very integral to who I am and if you like me you better like that. (laughs) So what was your personal experience of Black Swan? I think I came across it in year 12 in an English studies class and I think you'll find that interesting um it was like we had to I guess diagnose a thread between like a movie and a book and I really wanted to do something with memoirs of a geisha because I just read that book at the time and though later on I have feelings about it I loved the book at the time good book Mm -hmm. but yeah older Ash is a bit like 
maybe not. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was doing that and I couldn't figure out what I was going to do for the movie portion. And my <laughs> English studies teacher, um, who was a man, kept pushing me to do American Beauty. And I just remember having a gut feeling being like, want to do American Beauty. Like I, uh, I You made I, the right call. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen the movie, but I think it was just, I just had a gut feeling about Kevin Spacey. And it was just weird that like, an older man was telling me to watch American Beauty. Oh, that is weird. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was just like, maybe not. And I think Black Swan must have came out recent to when I was in year 12 because I don't know, for some reason I was just like, I I want to do that movie. And like in, you know, girl to girl, it probably was likely that I just wanted to watch like a lesbian sex scene as someone who was in the <laughs> closet at the time. So <laughs> so that's probably what made me just go, oh, this movie exists. And then I watched it and I was like, there's something about this movie. <laughs> I have to watch it like a thousand times over and it's not just a sex scene. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I guess my experience, I, I honestly don't remember when I saw it. Like, mm. like it came out in t- 2010 and I think I even saw it at the, at the cinema oh that would have been such a good experience to watch it for the first time and I remember loving it mm. and like you know going back and thinking about it because now I've watched a few more of Darren Aronofsky's films mm. I'm like oh it doesn't stand up but re-watching it for the podcast I was like oh my god this film is exceptionally good <laughs> like it didn't disappoint re-watching it I would definitely say and I'm not sure if this is a hot take or not and I might be biased but I do think it's his best movie out of all of them but I'm biased so <laughs> I don't know and, and I was burnt with um oh, what was that other one that mama movie mother I yeah I was burnt <laughs> by that so I'm just like that is not. <laughs> that is a wild time that movie I I think I will have to re-watch that just to remember why it traumatized me so just, much but then yeah. I'll just be re-traumatized <laughs> <laughs> we love re-traumatizing ourselves <laughs> I think the reason why besides being in the closet that was probably a big thing because I'm proudly bisexual now but um I think it was definitely not being diagnosed with bipolar at the time and that kind of and we'll get into it but that kind of that manic kind of energy the film has like the film you can't breathe normally during the film I feel it's just it's constantly like (gasps) like that the whole movie state of anxiety yeah like subconsciously I was like she gets me Nina gets me and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not (laughs) I just and like the fact that I didn't I don't know it's just the first time I watched a movie with that adult character who you saw as a child I think that really as a teenager I kind of grasped that a bit as well and I think just the idea of just putting on a mask and just like performing as something else to in, in order to grow but also destruct I think that was just I don't know I I couldn't I can't I still can't put it into words but there's just something beautiful about not beautiful, that's the wrong word, something interesting about just changing who you Mm. are and just how it destructs like everything around you basically. Yeah, and I think it's sort of that rigidity of the sort of box she was in as being so infantilized Mm. essentially and breaking out and sort of being free but also what comes with that, which is very relatable for teenagers but also lots of people. Mm. I feel like because she's sort of a child but also a woman, she's very relatable to a wide range of people. Yes, for sure. And especially being autistic and being, I guess, because I was diagnosed with being on the spectrum 
I, I think at like 13, I think, but I kept it a secret and it was like a forbidden secret for like a long time in my family. Oh, wow. And so I think that definitely, yeah, that's some trauma. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and it, it only took TikTok for me to go, oh, I can just say it out. Like it's only been like a year or so that I've been saying that I'm autistic and it's just the, oh, of that, like the weight off my shoulders. I'm just like, thank God, <laughs> thank God I can like just say it now. And I think maybe that's also why I connect mm. with the movie because I don't think she's autistic, but that kind of, especially the mother-daughter, which we'll get into later, that mother-daughter kind of clutch of yeah. like, I'm protecting you. And it's like, are you, or is this for you? And she you know seems, I mean? like, <sighs> she seems so restrained all the yeah. time. Um, and it's kind of, she, she sort of lets go throughout the film. And I wonder as well, given your experience of being autistic, is that almost mm. a metaphor for masking as well and being able to sure. let go of the mask a little bit? For sure. Especially like, and I'm pretty sure that like females of autism, it's like a thing that we mask more. And that's why we're not as, I guess, diagnosed as like men or, you know, who, whoever else has it. Yes. Because it's just like, trying to explain to someone who's not autistic like I'm not being a bitch in a social setting I'm not being like I'm not like giving you a resting bitch face it's literally me trying to analyze everything yeah. and not like go and like not say the wrong thing or not say this and it's just interesting especially because N Nina has this gift of being able to dance like really well and like all this but she still can't do anything else right and I think with autism especially you're mainly only really good at a few things or at least I feel a lot of the time it I kind of got the sense that I felt seen a bit because mm -hmm. it's just like oh like I do feel restrained and it only takes a lot of trauma and a lot of kind of letting loose and a lot of learning from that that I can be who I am today and I'm still learning I'm still autistic mm. AF so <laughs> that's a huge thing though and it and it is I guess you know it doesn't it's not just static it doesn't just stop it uh -oh. it continues and continues especially when you sprinkle bipolar in there it's an interesting mix being autistic and bipolar as you say a spicy mix <laughs> yes spicy cocktail <laughs> I guess for the podcast as well when were you diagnosed with bipolar um I was diagnosed I think I was 21. I was like 20 or 21 in that bracket. And it took me having a really severe mental breakdown at work where I like everything just went black and I just couldn't do anything for me to get diagnosed. And at first they were like, and this is sad, but they, they were like, you either have borderline or bipolar. It's one of them. And as soon as I heard borderline, it, it felt like in like Harry Potter with the hat. I was mm -hmm. like, please, borderline, please. Because I've just heard... Because at that time, borderline so is still seen. Yeah, and it's still seen like that where it's just like, oh, you're crazy. Mm. And at least I was like, well, the, to me at the time, they're both crazy, but I'd rather be the less crazy one, Yeah, which is bipolar. And I have, you know, been diagnosed with bipolar, but there are days where I'm just like, was that just like an easy diagnosis? Because I know borderline's a bit harder to diagnose. And yeah, but it was definitely an experience. And what was worse, I got diagnosed with bipolar and then my boyfriend broke up with me the next day at 4 a.m. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so it was just timing. It was a time. And, 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 and then I got like a new job the day after that. It was just like the most bipolar week on earth. It was just like up, down, up, down. But yeah, I'm happy that we're past the, you know, growing pains of it a bit and 
I'm happily medicated. (laughs) Do you think it has been a positive experience having that diagnosis? Has it changed your life in good or bad ways? I think it made me understand a lot. It is tough to figure out what's autism and what's bipolar Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, but I am happy that I have a label for it. It's quite liberating and I've been doing like a lot of work with understanding that bipolar was known for a long time as hysteria Mm, and I've been mm -hmm. doing like a lot of like history reading about that and stuff like that and that's definitely made me go thankfully I was born in this generation. Oh my god yeah. (laughs) Because I would have been burnt, drowned. I would have been seen as a witch like because I was having breakdowns every week in public places like it wasn't a fun time. It's just interesting like it's quite liberating to just be like oh, I would be a hysteric woman back in the day. That would be my diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and I'm reading a, uh, the Frances Farmer autobiography where she was oh, yeah. put into a men- like a mental asylum, as it was called at the time, and just thinking mm. some of the behaviour that she engaged with, I would probably, if I was a you know stronger person, would have engaged <laughs> with as well. Um, who knows where I would have ended up and, or other people would have ended up at, the, at that mm. time. Um, just because you're a hysterical woman. Yeah, and especially like you grow up to a certain point and it's always a joke, like you understand why Britney shaved her head. You understand why Sylvia Plath put her head into an oven. Like you understand to the point where you're like, yeah, there is some mental health there, but we've all unfortunately probably been pretty close to just going, I'm ready to be a hysterical woman. Yeah, because patriarchy is really the biggest. Awful. The biggest (laughs) issue. Nina Sayers, played by Natalie Portman, is a young, shy and aloof ballerina with the New York City Ballet Company. She lives with her mother, Erica, played by Barbara Hershey, who I just remember from Beaches. Have you ever seen Beaches? I've never seen Beaches, <gasps> but I, Beaches. I, I feel like I have to because I hear so much in pop culture. I feel like I'm missing out. It's just like <laughs> a good friendship movie. It made me cry. It makes me cry every time I see it. Anyway, uh, Erica was a former dancer giving it up to have Nina and is overprotective and infantilizing of Nina. The sexually aggressive director, Thomas Leroy, fires his principal dancer, Beth McIntyre, played by Winona Ryder, and is looking for a new dancer for the season's opening of Swan Lake. Nina auditions for the dual role of the black and white swan, otherwise known as Odile. I don't know if I'm saying this right. Odile and Odette. Sounds sounds right. (laughs) Uh, She's perfect as the white swan, but struggles with the black swan. After asking for another chance and pushing off a forced pass from Leroy, she's granted the role, however is accused of getting it via sexual favours from Beth, the previous prima ballerina, who becomes bitter and intoxicated at the celebratory gala. The next day, Beth is found hit by a car and her legs are severely injured, never being able to dance again. Nina starts having what appears to be hallucinations, finding scratches on her back, feathers in her body and seeing dark visions of herself. In the subway, Nina becomes somewhat enchanted by a new dancer, Lily, played by Mila Kunis, who seems to be able to let herself go in a way that Nina struggles with. Lily befriends Nina and offers to take her out for drinks, where she offers her an ecstasy pill to relax. Nina gets into it and the two return to Nina's house, where she and her mum have an argument, at which point Nina takes Lily into a room and barricades the door. The two have sex. However, Nina hallucinates herself and her mum while doing so. Nina wakes up alone and is late for rehearsal. Lily has been standing in for Nina due to her her lateness and has now become her alternate. Nina asks her about their night together, but Lily denies going home with her. Nina starts getting paranoid that Lily means to take Nina's place. Her hallucinations worsen as she envisions herself transforming into the black swan. After another argument with her mother, her mum calls the theatre and tells them that she's too unwell to perform. 
Lily is about to replace her when Nina turns up and convinces Leroy to still play the role. Nina starts performing, but before the end of the second act, she hallucinates again, leading the male dancer to drop her. Nina goes into her dressing room where Lily is preparing as the black swan. They begin to fight, and while she does so, Lily morphs into Nina. Nina stabs her doppelganger with a shard of glass from the mirror. Nina hides Lily's corpse and goes back on stage as Odile the Black Swan, turning into a swan. It's pretty amazing. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Embracing it as she does. She gets a standing ovation, kisses Leroy passionately, and goes back to her dressing room to get ready as the white swan. There's a knock on her door and Lily comes into her room alive, congratulating her for a performance and leaving. Confused, Nina sees that there's no corpse but pulls a piece of glass from her own abdomen. She dances the final act of the ballet, ending with Odette throwing herself off a cliff and Nina landing on a mattress behind it. She gets a standing ovation and Nina lies on the mattress, starting to bleed out. Everyone gathers to congratulate her. Leroy asks for help and tries to ask what she did. Nina just says she was perfect and it all fades to white. A roller coaster of oh, a movie. So much. <laughs> I was just envisioning it the whole time, like every scene, especially that party scene where like ecstasy is involved. Yeah. I, like, cause when I was just after I was diagnosed with bipolar, I became quite a partier because I wasn't going to therapy and I was like, let's just, you know, find validation elsewhere. <laughs> and I later found out, I think it was this year I went and saw a therapist and I was talking about how I used to take unfortunately at the time a lot of MDMA and there was some trauma around that and they said that with bipolar and MDMA it's a very dangerous mix because obviously high serotonin Mm. and then your bipolar catches it it's like they literally say if you're going to do any drug MDMA is not the drug to do Mm -hmm. so I think that's also I just realized I'm like is that why I also <laughs> find myself in this movie somewhere? <laughs> yeah, good point as well. And I guess, um, did you do you feel that part of before getting diagnosed, there was that sort of self-medication aspect as well? For sure. It was definitely like, not so, not like drugs, but definitely like validation mm-hmm. was my drug. And that's why I was like 14 dating an adult at the time. And like, it was just l- looking back, I'm like, why didn't anyone just go, do you need something, hon? Yeah, like, what's something happening going on. here? Mm. Yeah, definitely validation was the drug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the next sort of category is around lived experience. And I really, you've got some notes here around some of those really key elements that re- that really resonate with you. Mm. The first one being self-destruction or destroying your old self and that descent into madness. Do you want, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, of course. I think uh, obviously, as I said before, that kind of manic energy, that manic madness is something I've definitely experienced. And with bipolar, it's a bit hard. Like I, I think when you say to someone, oh, I'm just mad or I'm manic, they go, oh, how quirky. Like you're a bit, you know, just peppy or something. And it's like, manic no, like it's, trope. yeah, it's awful. It's, it's like you've been, oh, this is an example. And it just, for me, it sounds right, but it might not for other people. It just feels like you've been given a drug unknowingly. And you're like, why am I feeling like this? Mm-hmm. Like you don't know why like why am I why am I excited when I'm sad like it's a whole big thing and I think the movie because uh, the big thing is and I've I still question whether Nina actually dies at the end Mm, or it's just a whole thing that like she just destroys Nina Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I've just 
I've never figured it out. And I think that's the point. Yes. And I think um, in terms of me, I was quite an angry teenager and it took until I was diagnosed with bipolar. And then again, a bit after that, I just destroyed the old self for good reason, because I was like, I was angry, but I was also quiet. I didn't stand up for myself. I was just, I was really hateful for a lot of things. And I think it was important to kind of destroy that, Mm. but it was also destroying any link I had to like my inner child Mm -hmm. at all. And I feel like every time I would have a breakdown, though it was not great that I was having a breakdown, it kind of made that clear Mm. that that was what was happening. And it's kind of hard because I think, as you said, as a teenager, like you want to so be what you identify with, but you have your mom or you have, you know, whatever authority figures. For me, it was my mom, especially saying, oh, that's not you. You're just trying to be someone. Oh, that's Uh, not you. And it's so invalidating. And it's just, I don't know, it's quite liberating to kind of, as, as I said, like kind of break down and just become not not like a mad woman but just kind of be like there's only up from here (laughs) like this is where I'm going to build myself and definitely this is the year that I'm definitely building myself um and it's hard I'm not saying it's easy but I don't know what's your have you ever had that journey of like kind of having to destroy an old self in a way or I don't think personally so much destroying I was gonna say it's a very big word to <laughs> um I think like my mental health journey is very much around generalized anxiety disorder depression mm. I've got OCD traits um so definitely trying to disconnect but also more reassure the inner child inside yes. me because that inner child was anxious all the time and also create some boundaries within some of those connections with the mm. the side of the parent that wasn't supportive of that journey, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting you saying that because way back in my training, um, I was working in disability services and I went to mm. some training around personality disorders and I wasn't working with anyone with personality disorders at the time, but they sort of talked through how it wasn't just personality too, it was um, also severe mood disorders such as bipolar. Yeah. Having to break down all those defences of the person to get to the core and then build mm. it up again. But the way they described it seemed very, like, brutal and I I did think, oh, I don't think I'm in a place to provide that sort of therapy to someone. That sounds traumatic. Yeah. But now the way that you describe it as well in that sort of personal journey of sort of like creating the new, well, building up the new self from what wasn't a helpful sort of uh, self. Um, that makes a lot more sense to me now, the way you describe that. And- yeah, it's definitely, but I do want to say it's, and I think me and my partner always talk about this. If I'm like, I, I always say, oh, Miss B's in town whenever it, like my bipolar is really <laughs> acting up. And it's definitely, I think that's the overall issue is that because I've never really had someone and like my parents tried to help, but like it just wasn't it really. Mm. So I've just, I think, and I think a lot of people with disabilities or severe mental health have this kind of feeling that kind of defiance around you is just so it's almost just comforting just to be like, get away from me. Mm -hmm. Just let me deal with this on my own. And I think that's, especially with Black Swan, you kind of see her mother has that role and then she has that role, but she's still having issues with just having that barrier up completely. And that's 
sane, sane with that one. <laughs> and it's a physical barrier too when she sort of boards yeah. up her door as well. She needs to physically exactly. push away from her mum and given how intense her mum and her relationship is, like there's so much yeah. destruction that kind of needs to be there to to separate. That. I was I was going to ask, do you think there's some type of Munchausen's going on with that? Uh, I was reading an article that suggests that okay. mum and Nina like mum is abu- sexually abusing Nina. I've heard that too. Yeah. And I'm, I wouldn't discount that. I'm kind of like. Hmm. There's a few hints that make it pretty compelling. For example, like the fact she sees her mum after at yeah. the end of the sex scene with Lily and Lily says, my sweet girl, which is something her mum yeah. says. And just the the terror that um, Nina experiences when she sees her mum's in the room. Exactly. Yeah. And especially because it could even be like I'm reading Jeanette McCurdy's new book. I'm glad oh, I really want to read I've got, oh, I've got to that infamous bit that I think the like, is it, I, I, I don't think it's a spoiler because I think she's talked about it publicly where it's like her mum would shower her at like 16. Mm-hmm. And I, I like ever since I read that, I was like, I think that's even if it's not sexual abuse, it's still sexually inappropriate yes. abuse where it's like you should not be doing these things. It's an, uh, especially like the masturbation scene. Yes, exactly. I just I felt I felt something like that whole purity. I don't know. There was yeah. something about it. I was like, there's something going on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I saw any hints of Munchausen's. I know like like she mm. does call up um them and say that she's unwell. There's definitely I wouldn't put it past her to have those those traits though, given yeah. that she wants to keep Nina very close and mm. doesn't want her, you know, her freak flag to, to fly. Just stray away. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, some of the things she mentions like that she she's scratching again and yeah, maybe that's that is anxiety tick. Like Oh my god, yeah. One oh one. One oh one is scratching. Like I literally just did it then. <laughs> anxiety. It's not not that I'm anxious, I'm just a scratcher. No, so. I <laughs> I understand completely. You also wanted to talk about the identity crisis as well, which we, I guess, kind of links in with what we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, we kind of, yeah, we kind of already talked about that. I, I feel like a bit of a broken record because I keep no, going, okay. as I earlier said, <laughs> I like I know, especially like the autism is where I had an identity crisis because unfortunately, this sounds bad, but I promise I was a child. I didn't know what I was doing, whatever. But I remember thinking of autism when I thought of my friend and I and her, her name was Kira. I, I won't say any other identifying things. And she was autistic and she would, I think we were friends in like year three or four and everyone was like, oh, it's weird that you're friends with her because she always pretends she's a dog. And I was just like, yeah, but we have fun together. And then, you know, I should have gone why do you like pretending like you're a dog when it's not socially acceptable? Like I should have clocked myself, but hey, I had fun. (laughs) And when I was diagnosed with autism, I immediately thought of Kira and Mm. I was just like, but I don't do that. Mm. I have friends. I have this, like I'm able to have a normal, quote unquote, normal class day, even though no, I wasn't. <laughs> and I feel like the identity crisis comes a lot with any type of disability or mental mm-hmm. health. And I feel like in this movie, 
the whole movie is an identity crisis between black swan white swan who she is in the middle like that kind of gray area and I just feel as if like I don't know I wouldn't say oh because I I have a habit and my partner loves to tease me about this like I'll watch a movie or we'll like meet someone and I'm like oh they are definitely autistic like I just like (laughs) because I I I don't know I'm just I see behaviors and I'm just like I'm not saying they have autism but I'm just saying there's something there you know what I mean and while watching this movie uh, with Nina there are parts where I go is she but then I'm like probably not and I think it's just because autism movies like it's either I don't know like either like Rain Man level where it's just like I'm I'm not useful with numbers. I hate to tell you, I'm not. It's <laughs> not good with numbers. I'm not going to like make you win big at any casinos. Like I'm awful with numbers, or it's just like you're just not even a person. Like yep, there's yep. nothing in between. So the whole like every movie I look at, I'm like, please be some autistic representation. Like please, the only thing I've ever seen is Heartbreak High, which um, I which, which is on my list to watch. Oh, sorry so fucking good but like that's the only autism kind of portrayal that I've gone oh my gosh and back, back to identity crisis I'm a bit of a rambler too don't but that's okay I'm happy to ramble <laughs> I, I love a tangent of a ramble. <laughs> I just feel like everyone has an identity crisis as soon as they're told there's something yes like I was the slurs would come into my head and I'm like I'm, I'm not that I'm normal I have friends and it's just like oh it's just awful because you're just getting told you're something when you're not and Mm. you also then have to deal with identity crisis when you're trying to remove that stigma and it's just it's too much it's really hard too much pressure (laughs) and it feels like there's there's an extreme there's not disabled or or Mm. not mentally ill and then there's disabled and mentally ill and that's just you know two Mm. descriptors and if you sort of fit somewhere in the middle, you also not only go through an identity crisis, but also a bit of imposter syndrome too, because which community do I actually belong in? I don't quite belong in, in the normal society, quote unquote, but I don't quite belong in the disabled society because yeah. I don't feel like I I see myself in you know those people. Um, especially, especially when you're high-functioning autistic mm-hmm. and it's like because you almost feel – bad in a way because you're just like I don't want to be in this community and then people go well you 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 don't have the issues I have you know what I mean yeah but it's just like I do but I do recognize the privilege I'm on I'm also able to recognize that you know my family had the money for me to get diagnosed Mm -hmm. because to get a diagnosis is ridiculous like in terms of how many especially like if you're good at masking ridiculous (laughs) Why can't everyone just be validated in who they are? But of course not. Of no. course, you know. We still live in a very <laughs> we still live in a very black and white society and mm. always recognizing that there are lots and lots of shades of grey and we're all Exactly. We're all one, essentially. <laughs> we're all somewhere. <laughs> which I guess leads on to, if you don't mind, the Madonna Whore complex, yes. which I'm very oh, keen to talk about. One of my about. favorite things. One of my favorite things to talk about. Like if anyone, like I always say that meme where it's like, what would you talk about? You know, at kick-ons at 2 a.m. after a party. <laughs> I would literally be in the corner. I don't care who's listening to me. I would just talk about this. So the Madonna Whore complex is always delightful. It comes from, you know, Freud, Freud, however you say that man's name. I don't really respect we don't, that. We man. don't need to say his name properly. It's we fine. Who cares about him? And it's the concept that there's only, like, so a, a woman can only be the Madonna or the whore. Mm-hmm. The Madonna is pure, someone you want to marry, virginous in like every single aspect you could imagine. 
the whore is seductive, degraded, slutty. And what I would equate to kind of like a siren type mm-hmm. serpent type type of vision. She's going to seduce I, you. Yeah. Like I always like to say like it's like Medusa. Like yeah. it's just kind of illustrious kind of. And she's done dirty like, you know, Medusa was. <laughs> <laughs> There's basically no gray area mm. in this like between them and you always like a man will always want to fuck and secretly love the whore while the madonna she she won't satisfy you but that's who you take home yeah that's who you marry yeah and also it's not just like someone who just likes to sleep around because god forbid you know someone likes to have sex and safe sex but hey Mm. the whore can also be you know someone who has a disability or is trans or is just not that kind of you know girl next door yeah it's kind of look. there's there's some sort of level of deviancy or um yeah, yeah. just yeah going against Definitely. and all yeah and they're so hypersexualized, and that obviously means you're prone to violence and it's just a whole thing and I would definitely equate that Nina is that Madonna type mm-hmm. and um the black swan in a way is the whore and that means you know Lily's the whore yeah, by, yeah. you know, default. And, of course, you get Mila Kunis to do it because she's, like, that dark She's so hot. <laughs> she's so hot. I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I used to love 70s show and watch it on repeat. I always used to be like, I'm Jackie. And now looking back, I'm like, no, you just had a big, fat lesbian crush <laughs> <laughs> on Jackie. But, um, nah, and I think, I think it's interesting because it's – even that sex scene between them, I – think they actually didn't have sex and it was just Nina thinking they did yeah. because MDMA is a hell of a drug. <laughs> you can hallucinate on MDMA. I know I have. And that kind, and I feel like that's her morphing because she goes down to, you know, do the thing <laughs> down there eating pussy. And I honestly feel like that's the transform. That's like her first transformation into black swan. Yeah. Where like they're coming together, you know, very literally. literally. <laughs> literally and there's no in between you're either white or black or madonna or whore yeah and there's and i've had my experience with it especially when i was in my hoe phase (laughs) and i was a thick woman and at the time like looking back i was like it's one of those sad things that australia has no and i and i think this is more of an adelaide thing um but the beauty standard in Adelaide is very like skinny, blonde, surfer girl, like mm. kind of thing. And the amount of big, like roided up gym guys that were in my DMs, I would, you know, go up and, you know, have my fun with. And th- they would bring me dinner. They would, you know, do all the things that someone normally would do for a girl they liked. And then I would like say oh we should go out and then it was quickly oh no we should just you know stay at mine Mm -hmm. and it's just that kind of feeling where it's just like oh so I'm not that and then before the hoe phase I was a goody two-shoes I was always in long-term relationships I was always nice to men which I'm not now (laughs) (laughs) um and all that and I never really had any in between Mm. until I met a man who was actually okay with the idea that I was a functioning woman in my 20s before I met him Mm -hmm. a sexual being (laughs) so a sexual being and I think that's also why I just keep coming back to this movie and finding new little things yeah to pick up because it's just so and I do think that he didn't do it on purpose but 
I'm happy that it's so illustrated, even though I don't think the director did it on purpose at all. <laughs> no, I and like I, I sort of read back as much as I could stomach. Mm. Um, the Swan, <laughs> the Swan Lake, um, story. Yeah, and really, it it completely encompasses the Madonna whore complex because there's mm. they're the same character, but there's the black swan and, and yeah. the white swan. The white swan falls in love with whoever he. Yeah, the, the prince. I think it's a <laughs> Whoever prince. Whoever it is, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's sort of tempted by the black swan. Um, and in the end, I think there's two different um, endings. It's, like, changed over time where the white mm. swan, like, kills herself. And then there's... I, I hate I hate how many, like, times in history in, like, these big texts that we always have to read and that where it's, like, the, the, the women will just die yes. if she can't have the man. They're disposable. It's, like, it's I would... Oh, where, there's so many of us. Just get a new one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like you can't they can't be both. So that if the white swan yeah. can't have her prince um any he, and he's too tempted by the black swan, she's just gonna die. But I think there's also other interpretations where he dies as well and they go off and live in heaven together or something. But Oh god, I would rather not. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound very <laughs> just fun. Leave me alone. <laughs> so yeah, like I think the ballet, Swan Lake and using it in Black Swan is very, very much intentional in in sort of showing, you know, she can't quite be the Black Swan. She can't quite be the, the White Swan. She's trying to marry the two but is finding that so difficult to do. Mm. And her sort of becoming closer and closer to the Black Swan is like terrifying to her because yeah. it's shedding so much of that White Swan sort of innocence uh that Mm. sort of persona and I had there's so many articles that I read about it but I won't go into them (laughs) that that is okay I'm I'm happy to go into tangents (laughs) oh yeah this is a good little quote from a HuffPost article as Nina finds ever worsening scratch marks on her back we begin to wonder if it's the full spectrum of female sexuality neither virgin nor whore that is trying to claw its way out a severed limb that keeps dancing long after the rest of her has been smashed which, yeah. God, I love that. It's so good. <laughs> I love how that was written. My God. It's a really good article. And of, of course, I'll have it in the show notes. But it's also that sort of sexual awakening within Nina mm. and and being able to be both things. You know, you can be yeah. a spectrum of sexuality and a spectrum of a woman, but she's never been able to connect the two. And I think it's like crazy because I was obviously having sex before I was, you know, seen as the whore. But it's only when you realize that, like, you can also enjoy sex mm. is as, as that is the minute you get put into that category because it's just like, oh, so you can't just, you know, lie there. Yeah. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, and that's why it's just so funny, like, trying to explain this to someone who hasn't been in that and and they're like oh yeah but guys just suck and I'm just like it's deeper than that it's yeah ingrained. like it's very it shitty it's very much they want you know it's when it suits them that they want you to be mm. the virgin and when they want you to be the whore like yeah it's all on their terms <laughs> god the patriarchy, the patriarchy. <laughs> ruining ruining our lives <laughs> which is why I think this movie is so good because it's you know written mm. by da- a man but he really kind of yeah. nails that that concept I think in terms of lived experience, it's not so much, I guess, like attempted suicide of the, oh, I'm, for, I'm forgetting her name, the older oh, dancer um, played by Winona Ryder. Oh my God, what Beth, is it? Beth. Beth, that's it. I'll get into that in a minute, but it's the like pain in this movie. Like mm. when you're physically watching 
feathers grow someone's back yeah, or yeah. just my most hated thing and I think it borders on like a sensory overload is looking at ballerinas feet oh my god yeah like oh it's just the fact that they have to break in those shoes and no one has figured out to make a shoe that they can dance in comfortably is just like insane to me but then also high heels are uncomfortable still so it's just whatever but there's got to be something though but because it's women who dance in them they probably won't (laughs) who cares (laughs) but I think just like I think that's why it's such a thriller because it's just so painful to physically watch and like the glass shard into her stomach Mm. and just like you just watch it and you're just like oh my god yeah how much but definitely the idea of suicide because I'm pretty sure like I read somewhere because I didn't think that she attempted suicide until I read like this really again, compelling uh, article somewhere and that she may have just gone in front of that car on purpose or Mm. something, which is kind of a trope, but yeah. But (laughs) I can see why that you could definitely draw that conclusion given that she's been fired from her principal position. Exactly. She feel like she's got no purpose anymore, et cetera. Yeah. And I think that's, I think one of the most scariest scenes is in that hospital when Nina goes to see her and it's Mm. just like, it's frightening. And I think it's something in that movie where I definitely as a teenager was suicidal. Subconsciously, I understood how that felt, but it was kind of seeing the future ramifications of it where it's Mm. like, though it may have not been suicide, it was still self-destruction because I know when I've been belligerently drunk, don't do that. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I don't know, this whole, this kind of switch into like, I don't know, I think it's just kind of the whole movie is just, and I I think we'll get into this later, but like halluc, it's so hallucination based yeah. that the whole movie you're like, is this happening? Mm. Like there's definitely things like the sex scene. I truly believe that did mm. not happen. I believe that, you know, Beth tried to at least self-destruct or kill herself, but then did Nina die mm. at the end? I'm not yeah. sure. Like it's just... The whole, it's so like manic hallucination based. And as someone who's bipolar, I know that some people with bipolar do have like hallucinations they can see. I only have ones I can Mm -hmm. hear and that's terrifying. So I can only imagine what it's like hallucinating and you can see Mm -hmm. something like that's terrifying. And that obviously opens the idea to, you know, schizophrenia and stuff like that, where it's just an, or as we've talked about when you guys were, um, when you were on our podcast, like is just an awful, <laughs> awful trope. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and I'll sort of talk through what I think she might have, you know, the, the evidence of what she might oh, have soon. Yes. <laughs> but on that note too about um, the pain within the film and even like this, the mm. stabbing yourself in the abdomen and continuing to dance, like there's so much yeah. like dancing through the pain. I've just thought of that now. There's, there's mm-hmm. such symbolism and like being in so much pain and distress but having to sort of dance through it and and portray you know like like you're not in pain which she sort of does throughout the film and and not like like in a way that she like I don't get the premise like at the start it seems like she wants to do it but then by the middle it just seems like she feels forced to do it because of the director or her mom or to compete with Lily and yeah. it's just like does she really want to be there at the end does she until like she becomes the black swan that's the only time I'm like oh she wants to do it again yeah but it's just what does Nina want like I, this whole movie what does and Nina I guess want? her last <laughs> last words are it was perfect maybe she just wanted to prove mm. that she could be perfect and that was what mattered to her yeah but then what's perfection yeah <laughs> but then what's perfection in 
being a ballerina like I have a friend who was a ballerina for a long time and it just sounds awful Mm. and she even says it herself like she likes the art of it but just especially women you're tossed as soon Mm. as you're done like as soon as you're over the age of like yeah it's it's like being a model like if you're over the age of 25 you're only there because you you're something yeah but after that they're like yeah go away like bye-bye <laughs> so I just looked up some of the lived experience of the cast and crew um as we've already talked about Darren Aronofsky in our Raccoon for Regine episode mm-hmm. again couldn't find very much around his sort of mental illness but um people have definitely accused him of having mental illness such as uh, Jennifer Lawrence at the time when they were dating mm-hmm. um and he says that every <laughs> well, I, I I didn't know they dated yeah apparently he's dated a few oh god that would have been traumatic <laughs> <laughs> Because he gave her the the script for Mother, and she was like, "You have a mental illness. <laughs> this is this is fucked." Um, but he does say everything he d- does is autobiographical. He did do a lot of research into ballet and interviewed a lot of dancers and became very familiar with the story of Swan Lake. So he researched and he also spoke to Natalie Portman about this in 2000. So, like, she was that this was on the radar for ten years before it was made. So. He obviously, you know, he's an auteur who likes to do a lot of pre-work. But, yeah, that's all I could really find around any sort of lived experience for him. Which is scary, which is kind of weird where it's just like you can't find something. You're like, come on, you're that big of a director. But (laughs) if we know all of Tarantino's weird things, like we should know your thing. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess I can understand why he might not want to project that. But if he genuinely doesn't have lived experience, then... (laughs) that's all I'll say about that (laughs) but the person who wrote the screenplay that Black Swan is based on Andre Hines said he wrote it because he had a friend go through a psychotic breakdown and found it quite a horrifying experience from his perspective so he felt he had to write it down that's all I could find though because it was audio interviews but I couldn't access them I don't know we love like there were some podcasts that he did, but couldn't couldn't actually listen to them. Anyway, but that's interesting. Like he's obviously come at it from what he's perceived. Natalie Portman. Um, love her. Yeah, she's such a great actress. She's shared, she's had some experience with depression. She's had some dark times. So she said, um, she says she has imposter syndrome a lot of the time. And I guess from what we know about her, and she said this, like she experienced that sexualization in the industry since she was mm. in Lyon um, as a very young girl. She's had people like, write letters to her detailing you know, how they're going to rape God. her and things like that, which is awful. Um, I just couldn't imagine yeah. like getting – like it's stuff that you're like – you kind of don't like to think about, but you know what still happens. Oh, 100%. Especially with like all those kids on TikToks and that whole scandal now. I'm just, especially you being a mum, I'm just like, oh my God, people are awful. (laughs) Like people are gross and awful. And it's really sad. We do need to be very careful what we put of our kids online because you just Mm -hmm. don't know where that's going to go. It's not our fault, but you know. Scary. But she did relate to Black Swan and what she said was an exploration of an artist's ego and that narcissistic sort of attraction to yourself and also repulsion with yourself, which I think makes a lot of sense because we see Nina see herself a lot of the time in some of her hallucinations, but, you know, trying to struggle with that as well. And even the scene where they're having, like where it's her and her fighting at the end, like she like strangles herself. And it's just like the thought of just like, just get away from me. But then she wants to... 
I love it. And that's the thing with this movie. It takes, and I felt every, every time I rewatch it, I find a new like face somewhere. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my God, like where have they not put a face in this? And I kind of want to rewatch it again after doing this to see yeah. some of those little <laughs> things that I might have missed. And Mila Kunis um, had a bit of a rough time growing up. She was born in Ukraine, left to the US in second grade and really struggled to adjust. She said that was like the saddest time in her life. She also had her phone hacked in that hacking phone scandal, which would have been pretty awful. But around mental illness particularly, I didn't find anything apart from the fact, like the first thing that came up was that she had a stalker who escaped a mental health facility. That is something of nightmares. Yeah, that sounds pretty terrifying. <laughs> but interestingly, just by the by, she's she's quite philanthropic. Um, her and Ashton contribute to a lot of, you know, uh, organisations. And during mm. COVID, they created some wine where all the proceeds went to support the COVID that response. So, cool. so she's awesome. God, I love them. I do judge them for not showering enough, <laughs> but <laughs> I, do, I do love both of them. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to move on to accuracy. I'm so ready for this bit because I want to know everything. (laughs) Let's diagnose Nina. I think we've both sort of ascertained that she probably doesn't have bipolar. I started watching Goon. Could it be bipolar? But I was like, no, it's just not adding up. Um, But if we look at her background that we know of, she's uh, very enmeshed, very intense with her mum, lots of pressure and hopes and dreams like enforced onto Nina because her mum didn't Mm. go where she wanted to go because she had Nina. So there's so much complexity around that. Also that school of thought that Eric is sexually abusing Nina, but she's definitely too close for comfort, very much uh, not allowing her own privacy and dignity. There's a history of self-harm as well and some OCD tendencies as well. We can see that she's anxious quite a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. perfectionism, and some signs of an eating disorder as well. Because I suffer from bulimia. I see her having an eating disorder like tenfold. Mm-hmm. Like it's so clear, especially like there's certain shots where it like, it's very obvious they try and make her look as skeletal yes, as possible. Yes. And I'm just like, definitely an eating disorder. <laughs> and the cake as well, when her mum gives her the cake and she's just like, oh my God, I cannot eat. I cannot have yeah, any of it. Yeah, it's a freak out. And then, yeah. and then her mum licks it off her finger. That's great. Oh, that is like the weirdest thing. Like, even as a child I remember and this is probably me being autistic when like my mum or dad would kiss me I'd be like that would get <laughs> off me so like thinking about it now I'll just be like Ugh. no that made me cringe so much and yeah like she's very much in kind of arrested development she's treated like a little girl she dresses like a girl she's got toys in her, room. her bedroom her bedroom is like pinnacle what movies have is like a little girl room it's pink it's fluffy it's soft just, toys everywhere and and not in like a fun way, but in like a, this is a child's yeah, room. in like a creepy weird. way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So given all of that background, I I guess it's a bit complex because there's quite a few things going on there. And a lot of articles do read it as schizophrenia. Do you think that's like an easy way to just kind of put a sticker on it? Or? I think that like, you know, checks, like just, you know, looking at it on paper, you could hmm. say that. But there's yeah. there's quite a few like psychiatrists who've actually looked at and gone, no, I don't think it's schizophrenia. And I, I tend to agree with them. Um, but it definitely shows her experiencing psychosis of some kind. And like, you yeah. know, we've talked about all those um, hallucinations that she's had. And the criteria for schizophrenia, like she kind of meets it technically. Like she needs two or more symptoms of delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech, disorganized or catatonic behavior, 
and negative symptoms. And I guess, you know, with maybe delusions and hallucinations, like she's got probably that paranoid schizophrenic mm. delusion that she thinks someone's sort of taking taking her place. Yeah. But I just think it's a bit loose. Yeah. So is that like, j- j- just because obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, so is that criteria they have to have two or more of those, of symptoms. those ones in particular? Yeah. That just seems so... Like, Anyone could meet just, that criteria just, sometimes. Yeah, like I'm like I'm thinking I'm like I hallucinate, but okay, like, <laughs> but of course, like it's just so interesting. But there, there's also the other caveat, such as it can't be just explained by something else that's more oh, encompassing. Okay, um, like obviously you can have comorbidities, but given everything we've mm. said about Nina, like she's got OCD tendencies and eating disorder. Yeah. Um, Often, like from what we know, you're unlikely to have things like OCD and eating disorders because they're being very in touch with reality, too in touch with reality, whereas schizophrenia (laughs) is having that disconnect with reality. Yeah. So it's quite unlikely she would have both at the same time. One psychologist, and I'm sort of on this bandwagon, thinks it's probably borderline that she might be experiencing. And when I like look at the criteria for borderline, some of those like you need five out of nine of those criteria. Mm. So black and white thinking, which is, you know, the whole film basically. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Self-harming behaviour, which we have hints of with her scratching. Intense relationships or fixation on other people. So she's got that sort of fixation with Lily. Emotional instability, which is like a catch-all. I find that yeah. a bit annoying. <laughs> Likelihood of trauma or attachment issues underlying, which we would say that with her mother. Mm-hmm. Unstable self-image or sense of self, which is, again, the whole film, and some paranoid ideation or dissociation as well, which we also the see her again. experience quite a bit. <laughs> and I think we kind of see her splitting within herself, mm. which is a common borderline sort of trait, is that sort of splitting. You can only be one or the yeah. other. She's trying to reconcile her identity of a young innocent with a sexual mature sort of daring black swan, but she's really struggling. Mm. Someone who's more neurotypical might find that easy to marry the two together or just feel like they're a complete picture of of all spectrums. But she really struggles and it comes out in those hallucinations. And if she's going to be the black swan, if she's going to become that side of her, then she must be murderous. You know, she's going to be violent sort of thing. And I guess given all of that those other traits it's probably more likely that they're all a symptom of something that is a personality yeah. disorder rather than schizophrenia and eating disorder and mm. everything else and anxiety having said that that doesn't mean that it's not possible to have all those things at once but and this is a character <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah we're, we're we're really going in on something i love not going real, deep but on it. we have to do it i love i love conversations like this <laughs> what are your thoughts on all of that um i tend to agree because i i just think schizophrenia is just too easy of a label to put on the film i am i didn't realize that borderline could be in the mix but as you explained that i'm like tick Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely think it's a cocktail of something, but definitely with the borderline, especially with like the weird attachment she has with certain things mm. and the fixation. I'm just like, I think that's what I was picking up. Like may- maybe she's autistic because that fixation comes from yeah, yeah, like yeah. With autism. It's real tunnel vision, mm. but that kind of makes sense kind of more in the frame of, you know, just being borderline and being someone who was like, is not taken seriously for a long time and seen as a child like it makes sense Mm. and I guess the key thing with borderline is that feeling of emptiness and not knowing oneself and sort of Mm. taking on 
a persona because you're not really sure who you yeah. are essentially. And I think we see that in Nina. She's she's kind of what her mum wants her to be and her mum very much infantilizes her. So she she wants mm. she'll she'll be that sort of childlike, but then the director wants her to be the yeah. sexy black swan. Like this woman. Yeah. She, he wants her it's to grow just, up. It's so yeah, it's just so interesting because like I always feel really bad and obviously we talked about it before with borderline because it's just like you're just seen as just an either like just an awful human being but it's just so sad like when 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 you break it down you just go oh god like this stigma on top of like the suffering that you know I can definitely you know associate with being bipolar which I always call like the sister or like or the cousin to Mm -hmm. borderline and it's just like I just oh stigmas are awful and this is why I love your podcast it's like let's break down these stigmas because my god especially when the way we see mental illnesses and disabilities is on TV and and in in films and in books and stuff like that that's just the way it is so it's important to break them down i believe and one last thing was around the hallucinations a few psychiatrists have had in interviews and talked about whether they're an accurate sort of representation of psychosis Mm. and often they see yeah they're kind of accurate but as you said with you experience more auditory hallucinations they Mm. are more common than visual hallucinations they're much more uncommon and what we could probably describe what she's going through is more some of them would be maybe fantasies rather than actual hallucinations so yeah I think maybe there's some overblownness there but other than that, like there is some definitely some accuracies there around what we see. I think we can just all agree that she needs distance from her mother and just therapy. Lots of therapy. <laughs> that is just lots of therapy because the whole movie you're just like, oh Nina, oh Nina, like you're just, just like, wanna, come on. just want to give her a hug and say, come on. <laughs> I, I just want to hug her, but then I also don't want to hug her. Just give her. Yeah, oh, I don't think movie. she would want that hug. <laughs> Everyone is so touchy with her, and I'm just like, just leave her alone. Yes. Like, just let it let it fly. Oh my gosh. It's, it's funny. One article, there's a psychiatrist who's, who's like, I could give her treatment. Like, if she doesn't die in that last scene, and she probably wouldn't. Like, she'll be okay. Then she'd be fine with some yeah. treatment. She'll be she'll be she'll be great. So that's very positive. Are there some stereotypes in the film that maybe aren't so great? I think the eating disorder. Though it's not great, I believe it's very riddled in that industry mm-hmm. and I think it kind of bangs it on the head completely. I don't, and I can see that it's in your notes and I have to agree that Winona Ryder gets too old so she's booted. I just, I hate that. and mm-hmm. I But I know it's accurate but it's just like, She's not even that old. And you can just see that, like, she used to be the Nina. Yeah. Just because, yeah. like, the interactions at the start. And it's just like, oh. but in, in terms of stereotypes, definitely the eating disorder, someone who has one, I think it's done in a way where it's just like, it's not like our other movies where it's just so, they kind of just push it on you. You, mm-hmm. you got to either know the nuances of an eating disorder to be like, yeah, like, it's pretty clear here, but you can see these little it's like the cake scene yeah. where she like freak where where it's it, it's not like oh I'm not hungry it's a freak mm, out mm. at food it's um oh what's that is it like not orth is it like orthorexia where it's just like the sight of food mm. oh no I, I don't think it's orthorexia I know it's I, I can't remember it but it's like there's a form of eating disorder where like food repulses you mm. and it's one of those ones where those because I because I, I know someone who has it and it's kind of like food doesn't look good to them it's almost like a sensory thing to Mm -hmm. them but 
a lot of psychologists will go, no, it's just an eating disorder. And that's just kind of the lie on top, which it's just like, let's just let people just obviously either have sent, like just doesn't, obviously it's not good. It doesn't matter what you call it really yeah, at the just, end of the day. They need yeah. help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so I reckon definitely that. And the stereotypes of just like the touchiness of the director, I mm. think was very apparent because I'm not even a ballerina and I've been touched by, you know, authorities in the office that are male mm. before, not in my current job, but definitely when I was a teenager, mm. um, working at like the local fish and chip shop, I had older managers who, you know, were old enough to be my father to do, you know, were touching me inappropriately. Oh, that's not to like a, yeah, not like I shouldn't do what I was about to do where it's like, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. It was still bad. It was like touching that I didn't want, but it wasn't like, you know, Oh, what what's the word for it? like penetrative or mm, stuff like mm-hmm. that? But it was definitely inappropriate. Mm. But yeah, I think the stereotypes of this film overly. I think my one thing is that the whole mental illness of it all. Mm. I'm just I have a bit of I don't have faith in the director that he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So w- when I praise the movie, I often praise the actors, not the director, <laughs> just because I'm like it's good, but I'm not praising you. <laughs> I 100% agree, and we've talked about this with other films where, you know, maybe it it, it has been helpful for mental illness, but then when you mm. see that the director didn't have lived experience or, you know, wasn't going out to make a men- mental illness, you know, wasn't yeah. going out to smash the stigma, then it's like, no, you don't get a pass. Like, it just happened to be good. Um, yeah. <laughs> if they're just going out there to sort of shock and um, and entertain then, yeah, they definitely don't get a pass on it being, like, no. good for stereotypes for mental illness. And I think that this film is tricky with that because on mm. one hand, like, with the ballet world, we see a lot of tropes, but also is that actually what it's like? Because um, yeah. he maintains that he interviewed a lot of ballerinas and looked into the industry quite a bit. Um, but I did. But I, but I all, I always question when people say that though, because you can still interview someone and just take what you want out of it. Like there's that, there's no other third person going. That's not what they said. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> not what they meant. And yeah, you, one person is just one person too in their experience. Yeah. So you've, it's really better to, to get a few. But um, there, one article I read, they had a few ballet dancers who commented on the film, um, who mm. was like, "This is." a big cliche especially with like the vomiting Nina's mother being a cliche of a ballet mom um <laughs> the stage mom of it yeah all. <laughs> the stage mom and yeah some of them find that really silly and ridiculous some of those tropes but mm. also they could sort of recognize it as a good movie at the same time and not yeah. being about the ballet world but yeah uh, uh, like at least four ballerinas who watched it were like that's not what it's like it's very cliche and very silly. So that's good to know. Yeah. That's good. That's a good sign. <laughs> but I guess also around the mental illness aspect of it, mm. there are definitely some tropes there, particularly uh, around mental illness and violence, um, given mm. that the more sort of unwell she gets, the more violent she becomes. The more violent. And as we've said it a million times on the podcast, people with mental illness are least not likely to be violent. They're more likely to be victims of violence, which I guess essentially in the reality of the film, she inflicts it on herself. But, yeah, there's still that parallel there that we could say wouldn't be particularly good for stereotypes. Especially because, like, you're right. Like, I feel that at the points where I was the most mentally ill, the most breakdowns, like, peak mental illness it was definitely 
though I may lash out at people, it wasn't like a violent thing. It was just a get away from mm-hmm. me kind of mm-hmm. thing. It was just like a, almost like a disconnect or just a push. Like I just push people away. And then the violence always turned on me. So when you see mm. that whole thing where she's violent, I guess you could say she's violent towards her mum when she like barricades the door and that whole interaction happens or, you know, she's violent towards Lily and it's just like, is she, or is she just being violent to herself? Yeah. And particularly <laughs> with her mum, it's more a self-protection thing because yeah, potentially sure. her mum could be violating her quite a bit. Another thing that kind of frustrates me with tropes in the film and I guess this isn't really that film for it anyway, is like two women in similar roles having to compete. Compete. Yeah. Why can't they just be friends? Uh, But then that wouldn't be that film. So (laughs) it's really not the point of this film. No, I I always say that all the time. Like I'll be watching something and it's when like I'm watching because my like guilty pastime is like shows like Jersey Shore and that, (laughs) like pure trash television. I'll be watching it. And then like my feminist hat will come on. I'll be like, what the fuck was that? And then I was like, it's Jersey Shore. Like, what am I expecting? Like, Lower those I, expectations. Like, lower them to the floor and you're good. You can watch yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I do think this film actually passes the Bechdel test. So that's that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I'm surprised, but okay. Yeah. I think another thing just to mention as well, that mm. could be a positive stereotype, is the fact that Lily is a ballerina, like this kind of goes against those stereotypes of ballerinas because Lily smokes, she drinks, she parties. She's a huge party. She She eats <laughs> like, food um, yeah. and she seems to really enjoy dancing. So mm. she definitely doesn't fit the mould of what we know as the stereotypical like ballerina, which which is a positive thing, I guess, from what we know. From anyway. a, a lack of ballet training <laughs> experience. It's good. Zero. <laughs> So do we think this film was helpful or harmful is the next big question. I guess what do you think was helpful about it to start? I do think I'm mixed on this a lot, but I do think the idea of hallucinating yourself is quite helpful. Mm -hmm. I've, I've done it before, even though I'm, I said I mainly have auditory, there has been situations where I have seen myself um, usually like something else is involved to make that happen but that kind of how I like that when she saws herself it wasn't like a good thing it was a scary thing because that's quite accurate mm. and it's quite helpful to that sounds pretty terrifying help. yeah it's terrifying especially like I've had and besides that like I'm quite a spiritual person and I remember once I was meditating and this is definitely the mental health like coming in I saw myself and though I was like the first thought was am I seeing myself right now? I'm meditating. It was like terrifying mm-hmm. because looking at yourself, that's not a mirror mm-hmm. is like, why the hell do you look exactly like me? But something's off. Oh, and I feel like this super scary. Oh yeah. It's awful. It's, it's awful. Um, which means I need to do a bit more shadow work, <laughs> but, um, the whole movie I think did that really nicely where it's, it's not a good thing. And when you see yourself, it's not really you because every time like she saw herself, it was it was Natalie Portman. It was mm. Nina, but it was just terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like she looked evil. Mm. Like so, yeah. I definitely think it was helpful in that regard. And I don't know. I feel like it took on a lot of stuff and did a good job with it, like female sexuality and stuff like that. I think that was helpful. Mm. But I do think there is some harm. And and I and I, I'm seeing your points, and I do have to agree <laughs> with some of them. <laughs> I guess 
starting with the mental illness side, do you think it helps for people to feel seen in this film who have mm. gone through similar things or are going through? For sure, because I think that's why I loved it so mm. much as a teenager because at the time I'm trying to think of another movie that made me feel that way and it didn't because it made it feel like it didn't engage what I had at the time, which was like eating disorders and mental health. It didn't like put a fire under them and, you know, kind of lit it up like movies like To the Bone did on Netflix, mm-hmm. which I have issues with that oh, movie. I haven't watched it yet. I've been that, saving it for an episode. Oh, <laughs> that is another another time. But um, I might hit you up with that one. Like, oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I feel like it did a good job of reassuring, but it didn't elicit behaviors, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like it didn't like – like, like I didn't watch it and learn how to do something new, mm-hmm. if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's really important because that's where it could yes. go really badly. Because um, that's over like 13 reasons why oh, I would say that. Unfortunately, probably elicited a lot of behaviors, unfortunately, um, unless you were old enough to be like – that's fun. Well, well, according to Lifeline and Beyond Blue, yes, they got a peak of calls during that time. Anyway, that's, that's another awful. podcast for another Yeah, time. that's another thing. Sorry, I, I keep saying no, traumatizing I, movies. No, I just, I'll just keep talking about it with you. <laughs> and, yeah, around the sexuality too, um, I feel like it's helpful if you know what he's what, what Aronofsky is trying to say around challenging yeah. that dichotomy. But it could also be seen as gratuitous, like the sex scenes and mm. and the, the the sexual assault that he kind of puts her through as well. Yeah. Do you think it could it is generally helpful, or do you think you know if people aren't seeing that that nuance, they could get the wrong message I from think, it? Because I'm trying to think back to teenage Ashley who watched it. I definitely think it was scary, like the sexual assault between her and um, the director of the ballet studio I guess you call it but like in terms I don't know because like the les like between Nina and Lily I felt like that was okay because it kind of I know opened the idea to like a woman on woman's sex yeah there wouldn't have been uh, that many of them yeah though I will say that like the thing after where like Lily's like sorry I'm saying like so much sorry sorry, I do that Lily says (laughs) Lily's like oh my god oh, that didn't happen. Yeah. Like that that kind of like makes me feel seen for a lot of like, you know, in the closet activity. I'm, I'm sure heaps of people who were, you know, a bit fruity and didn't know it had a lot of those things where things would happen. And then the day after you're like, are we going to acknowledge that? And it's like, no, because I have a boyfriend, you have a boyfriend. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're not going to talk about that. So, but hey, that's reality. It is reality. When you're that age, we're trying to figure it out. So I think that's helpful. But, yeah, I do think it's on those movies. If I have a daughter one day, I'm going to watch with oh, her yeah. just so I can be like, <laughs> we're going to talk, we're going to pause and I'm going to tell you about something, then we're going to go proceed. Because yeah. you need to have understanding of something, as, especially the power imbalances. It's a bit like, let's talk about that. <laughs> and I guess you could on on one surface level see, you know, um, Nina's exploring her sexuality of, you know, she she sort of recognises within her that she's attracted to Lily and has either this hallucination or, or it really happens. But then that is kind of observed as her 
slipping deeper into mental illness and not yeah. being in a good place. So you could link the two oh, that's and true. say, oh, now I'm thinking you know, being a, being a lesbian that's- is bad in a very, very <laughs> surface level interpretation. Don't have sex. It's like don't have sex with other women if a man is not there. Like don't have any sexual energy. Exactly. That's what like you could totally read the movie as that. But, oh my god, I I love this movie. You can just bury yourself. In it you could. I mean, I hope people aren't making that connection though. But you are. Uh, but you know, an impressionable young girl could mm, need that sort of discussion. Sure. What What do you think would be harmful about this film? Potentially the eating disorder stuff. If you do have one, mm. potentially. Though that's kind of grasping at straws. I feel like the most harmful thing is. I don't know, and maybe because I just have experienced that, like, weird mother-daughter kind of relationships a bit harmful, though I think it's important because it makes you feel, like, if if you've had, like, a, you know, particular type of relationship with your mother, and mine's not that bad, but there was definitely things that I was just like, I I feel that. I feel, Mm. like being restricted by, you know, like a mother figure. I think that might be harmful, and I honestly think, potentially like the drug the drug like the that drug scene with the ecstasy and like how it's low-key I feel like a roofie situation even Mm. though technically it's not I just feel like that's probably the most harmful is that ecstasy is like this thing that you can use to you know look through your sexuality and see what you like which does happen you know Mm. I had my first you know you know relations with a girl when I was very drunk and I could just say oh I did it because I was drunk when not really. <laughs> well, I, I, I was drunk, but the brain was very sober, if that makes yeah. sense. But um, I feel like that's probably the most harmful mm. um, thing is that you have to be drug riddled to start that journey, which it's sad. It's like, it's true. I know a lot of people's journey starts with that, but I just wish it didn't Yeah, because <laughs> it's not safe. It's really not safe. But It would, it, it would have been yeah. a bit nicer if that scene happened while she wasn't um, under the influence, but also exactly. I think as as one of the psychiatrists in the article I was reading said, all of those, mm-hmm. like all of that background with Nina, the stress and the pressure she's under and then mm-hmm. having um, a drug like ecstasy is is likely to lead to psychosis. So that I guess that's oh, like sure. th- they're a perfect storm for, for something like psychosis to happen. So not saying that it does ha- always happens, but um, – <laughs> It just makes that the link is there. yeah, and it just makes that link accurate, I guess, more accurate in the film. Mm. Um, but you're absolutely right; like that's not a good message. I think a big thing for me is, and again, it's not going to happen in this film. But <laughs> she doesn't get any; she doesn't even get asked for help. I guess like she's going through no. quite significant psychosis, and it's very clear. From like for multiple people, yes, that she's going through something. Yeah, um, and yeah. apart from restraining her in her house, as her mum does, like no one offers her support. She doesn't get any diagnosis, treatment, and and at the end she dies. <laughs> well, again, yeah. I agree with you. I don't think she dies. I think like it's sort of a. Well, I always, but I always think about that, like where it's like I don't think she dies, but then what happens? Yeah, Does she just like does she go off to like the loony bin afterwards like what because that's what it seems like that movie kind of put like on top and as someone who's been in that situation I'm just like what would she have done after that because they they would have gone back to the dressing room and go why is that glass yeah what like why like your mum is screaming the house down in the lobby like it's just I don't know I just feel as if like 
I just want to know, like, do you have a theory of what happened after if she did live? Well, I I see her implication that she died as like mm. her killing herself, like her, like yeah. the final step in the transformation of the black swan essentially so Mm. she's killed old nina and now she's new nina so either you know with some medical attention she goes on to be the principal ballerina Mm. and has a wonderful career until she ends up like winona Ryder. um yeah and then the cycle begins and the cycle begins again perhaps Mm. yeah um but you know in a real world hopefully she would get treatment (laughs) and not just not just carted away to a a hospital but actual (laughs) Yeah. useful treatment she she deserves better she does <laughs> the, the whole I, I I feel like this whole episode I'm like I, she deserves better. she deserves like, so much better and oh like you can I think that's another real um point for it being maybe her experiencing borderline is she seems so alone and sort of mm. empty in her world like no there's no one in some ways Lily but even not on the same plane as her there's no real connection with anyone else no because even when she's there's like a hallway mm. scene where like all the dancers are kind of together and she's just by herself in her own little yeah. world and I think that's why I was kind of grasping at straws maybe she's autistic. yeah yeah definitely but I just I, I just don't think she has she's net because I feel like and this might be a generalization but I feel like especially like a stage mum stage daughter I mm. guess dynamic I feel as though they're not really prepped to interact with people their own age yeah yeah and I feel like that's just the result of that her being like I can only talk to people of like who are older than Mm. me who are in authority I can't talk to people because they're my competition yeah and I think that's just it would make sense should we go through scores so firstly lived experience I don't think it really gets a point, sadly. No. <laughs> Although the yeah, the no. screenplay writer wrote from the perspective of someone watching someone with psychosis, but still, yeah, I feel it's like a like a pity kind of point. Yeah, <laughs> but no, not, it not a real. It doesn't point. need to have it. What about accuracy? Do you think it it earns a point for accuracy? I think it does, though maybe. No, I think I think it does. I think I could probably argue whether the accuracy was done on purpose for a few mm. things, but I think it deserves a point. I, I I'm with you on that one. I think yeah. there's it's flawed, yeah. but I think generally it it hits the mark for a few things for sure. Stereotypes. You can go first because I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure either. <laughs> I feel like if you I'm... if you understand the film from where it's coming from, I think it passes. Mm. It's showing some of the stereotypes of of the ballet world but knowing that they're stereotypes almost yeah like it's almost self-aware yeah okay all right (laughs) I also just want to give it a point (laughs) yeah and do we think it's helpful or harmful and what does it tip I think legacy wise it will it's overly helpful I think that it's a movie that will stand the test of time I think which is rare these days I think it's helpful it is harmful but I think helpful kind of outweighs it a little Mm -hmm. bit I think I think I I don't know <laughs> I don't know I feel like there's a few messages that could be harmful maybe we give it half a point yeah, let's give it half because I think it's only helpful because it makes people feel seen but be all all the things you feel seen aren't great yeah and <laughs> so mate yeah I, I reckon half a point and I think that the outcome could could tip it to too much in the harmful direction so yeah let's go True. half let's go half a point yeah let's do that <laughs> 
Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Ash. Okay. Thank you for letting me rant about my favorite movie and just everything I have and why I've just put myself in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate it. Thank you for ranting with me. Um, Do you want to plug your podcast and anything else you want to plug? I probably should. Yeah, I probably should. Um, So I'm Ash. I podcast a show that is coming back in a few weeks. I'm not sure when it will probably be out by the time this comes out. Um, Again, Hot Girls Theory, as um, Steph said, it's about sex. It's about I like to call it like a girl chat. We just talk about, you know, everything that, you know, is possibly there to talk about. Um, And then, yeah, so you can find that at Hot Girls Theory on Instagram. We're on Spotify and wherever you listen. And I guess my personal Instagram, which is not as fun, but it's It's just actually excerpt, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just a lot of opinions um, if you're in my close friends and just a lot of opinions if you're not because I just share everything. There are opinions (laughs) I usually agree with. (laughs) (laughs) awesome and yeah your podcast is fantastic and I I love listening to it because you and Indy have such a a fun vibe so it's like listening to well essentially it is listening to two friends have a chat and and we've already said that like you have to be on again like we have to do oh I'm so keen (laughs) all right thank you so much This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.